Okay. Um, we have three, three Wednesdays left counting tonight. Um, and by the way, Phil, do um, you think there are, are there any Wednesday night people that you haven't gotten as far as fig, uh, photographs? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Then, because I think we're going to make this coming Sunday, both services and fellowship time, the, the last announcement we make of, of it. Um, because we'll probably get, I mean, I think we've gotten, we've gotten the, the main bulk. We'll, get, we'll pick up some more, but probably not a ton of more. So, uh, what about the uh, senior appreciation Sunday? There might be a lot of families there. Senior, oh yeah, the graduates. The, yeah, yeah. I was thinking, why are they? Why are they having a Sunday for me? <laughs> um, yeah, when is that? That's clear down in May. That well, let's see. That's the Sunday before Memorial Day weekend. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see where we're at. <clears throat> okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for allowing us to be here tonight. We thank you that you're good and faithful to us. We pray that you would be with us here this evening. Thank you for a good group of people, good congregation. And Lord, you're responsible for it all. So we're grateful to you. Bless our time tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I think a fair number of you know uh, Ken Baker. And Ken's been in uh, ICU for, I think he's been up there almost three weeks, if not a little longer than that. And um, he's dealing with a lot of issues. Um, but basically, he's dealing with um, congestive heart failure. And he wouldn't mind me telling you some of these um, conditions. He has nine stents in his heart and triple bypass. Um, he's battling prostate cancer, which he's had a lot of chemo for uh, over some time here. Um, but the congestive, his heart, he, he's got fluid on his lungs. He had pneumonia. They managed to, they gave him a lot of antibiotics, and that's gone. Um, and he is, he seems to be, his numbers aren't the greatest, but he's much more alert, and he's, he's clear as a bell um, cognitively. Um, but they're working on trying to get more fluid off his lungs and so he can get home. Um, the, the issue is the hospital can give him, I don't know, up, up to, you would know, um, is, is the word or is the term leaders? I mean, I think he's on like 25 leaders. They can't give outside of the hospital above 10. And so they got to they got to wean him down to where and, and hopefully he can be okay on just ten. Um, if they get enough fluid off of him, um, then they'll send him home and and um, home health care will be with him. Um, but I've I've uh, visited with him. I think I've been up there virtually every day to just visit with him and he's doing good in his soul and. Uh, I know, I know he's, he's ready to meet God. Had a wonderful visit with him just this morning. Um, but um, at any rate, he um, just needs our prayers. Don't know which way this is, you know, which way it'll go. But um, at any rate. And then I'd like to just mention one thing, um, and I'll keep the names... I don't know if many of you would even know them, but way back when we were at the old building, there was a family I did. They were part of the church then. Um, 
and one of their boys in his early, early 20s was killed in a car wreck on the ice, got in a wreck in November of that year, way, what, 2006 or seven. And then they just lost the son, another son, this over this weekend to suicide. And um, I, the funeral is um, at the funeral home this Friday. And um, I don't know what in the world you say at a, at a suicide. Um, in an in a inebriated state. And so, I mean, I, you know, so anyway, I just need prayer this Friday. Um, <clears throat> and then when it's over, if you, you know, see me just running through the streets of Gillette that is over, um, boy, those are, it's just a weight on you till you get on the other side of it. So, anyway. Um, I mentioned last week that we had 30-some, you know, subjects that are, in a few cases, might overlap a bit with what we've talked about, that um, we'll never get them all finished up, because we have tonight, and then we have two more Wednesdays. Um, so I guess what, we're, what I want to do here is maybe a little bit of um, sweeping up um, and hitting some maybe even unrelated subjects that um, either we didn't touch on at all or we may have briefly brushed by. Um, and then any you know discussions or ideas that come to your mind, uh, issues, um, are welcome. <clears throat> um, one we looked at briefly that I don't know, don't want to spend too much time on it, but, but I know we've at least touched on it, is the whole business, the ethical business of being a Christian, but being in a variety of situations, all the way from, say, military to um, law enforcement going undercover um, to intelligence agencies um, on truth-telling or, or deception. When is it right? When is it wrong? Is it right? Also, maybe much, much, much less important, it seems, but all of us usually get put into situations where you can't say the truth. Now, before you think I'm really going off the deep end, it's the old, well, I've had this happen to me. People who, and, and I will say, not in this congregation, okay, so don't, you don't need to think about it. Other churches I had. People who never, ever should have been permitted to fulfill their request to sing. Who ask, and it's really their fault, but who ask, how do, how do you think that went? Well, you can't say, well, it reminded me of a full moon at the dog pound. <laughs> it was just indiscriminate howling. You can't say that. But you are faced with, you know, what do I say? How do you be truthful, yet kind, spare feelings, you got to be really quick on your feet. I think some well, you I know you're serving the Lord and he, you know, whatever. Yeah. This is, this is a pet topic of mine, so I have to, I have to chime in. But you know, people talk about the ninth commandment as being, you know, thou shalt not lie, but bearing false witness is about two or three accusing somebody else. And, and it's, it's a court. It's a court yeah. thing. And so, you know, Joseph lied to his brothers about who he was. Samson lied about his strength. You know, Abraham lied uh, uh, to his wife. spirit to the prophet Micaiah to be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophets and you know issue it goes back to the attitude of the heart again you know, if your wife asks you if you look fat in this thing you don't say yeah you're a porker yeah, I, I, I know you know what I mean I, I better not say I know you know but, but anyway <laughs> yeah hide 
what our left hand does from our right hand when we give to the poor. That's a matter of deception. You know, that's a matter of you know putting oil on your head and washing your face when you fast. You're you're deceiving. You're hiding things. You know, but it doesn't have a sinister motive. It's the attitude of your heart yeah. Again. Yeah. Well, and I'm not, not making too much of that, but the enemy, um, I don't think I'm any different than anybody else. There are times when um, then the enemy will jump all over you. Well, you lied. You, you know, whatever. Um, there's a, the, definition of, the definition of a lie is, you know, a an evil intention, a motivation to deliberately obfuscate, to hide truth, to deceive a person, especially to that person who's being deceived, to their harm in some way. Um, I think um, to, well, I knew a situation where some, um, a farm widow can't even remember what kind of car but had a barn car you know a, um, a car that <clears throat> was worth tons of money and she had no idea and someone bought it from her never told her asked what she wanted she had no idea she gave some low ball well it's old and this person took her to the cleaners um, got a classic, you know, barn find car for, you know, 500 bucks or whatever. Um, to me, you know, that's harming someone and doing it intentionally and deceiving them. Um, I'll tell you what prompted my mind on this, because we did talk about at the beginning of this study, the one illustration of, you know, when the Nazis bang on the door and ask you for hiding Jews, you lie through your teeth to them. Um, and the reason is because ethically, I mean, the ethicists give the, the reason is they are on an illegitimate errand. They are pursuing evil and mean death to the people that you, they're hunting. Um, I'm, I'm not under an obligation to be truthful to somebody like that. Now, everything has a slippery slope to it. We don't want to be like the Muslims. Now the Muslims believe that it's okay to deceive infidels, which is us, okay? It, it, it doesn't make a difference what harm they do and what lying they do. It is justified because we are infidels. We're, you know, um, the great Satan. So it's fine to lie to them. Um, that's, we don't want to go into that position, okay? Um, <clears throat> but what prompted me was just a couple days ago, they were kind of reviewing what's going on in Britain, and to a lesser degree, at least news-wise, this evening, uh, news that I was looking at, Canada, Canada and, and the UK, and the real crackdown on freedom of religious expression, which they don't have the Bill of Rights like we do. But they talked about this two different cases in the UK where people were quietly standing um, with their heads bowed across the street from an abortion clinic. They were not picketing. They had no signs. They weren't standing on the same side of the street. They weren't impeding anybody trying to get in. They were on the other side of the street. The woman that they pictured was kind of standing against um, a big hedge. Um, she was completely out of the way. She had her head bowed. And the police came to her and asked her, what are you doing? Are you praying? She said, yes. Then they asked her, what are you praying about? Now, I don't know what would happen if you'd say it's none of your miserable business. Um, but she didn't. She said, I'm praying for 
the people that are going in for the, to this clinic, and I'm praying for the babies, and they arrested her. Now, I think lying's okay there. <laughs> I don't think you're obligated to tell anybody what you're praying about. Um, it's another mis- miserable business. Um, and again, it's an illegitimate um, errand that they're on. Now, I, again, just to repeat, you know, you don't want to swing a door open to deceit, but clearly, um, Tom is correct. There are cases, um, you know, when David read in the psalm the other day where David was drooling in his beard and scratching on the gate in the city of Gath, uh, which was a Philistine city, um, pretending to be insane so that they would let him go. Um, And, you know, you have him um, telling the, well, I think it was Abimelech, uh, no, not Abimelech, Abiathar, the high priest, when he asked him, have you got any weapons here, when he was fleeing from Saul, and he said, well, I, the only thing I got is sword, Goliath's sword. And David said, well, there isn't anything like that, so let me have it. Um, and when Abiathar the priest asked him, he said, I'm on a secret errand for the Lord, or for the king. Um, well, he was fleeing from Saul. Uh, and then, of course, we know that Saul found out about it and murdered the entire 85-member priestly village of Nob. Um, and, of course, David said, I, I've occasioned the death of all these people. Um, I think the only case I know about or can, could remember where the Lord... Um, seems to be involved in diverting attention is when um, Samuel was headed to Bethlehem to the household of Jesse to anoint a new king in Saul's place who Saul of course wasn't done yet but God said I've had it with him and I'm going to seek somebody a man after my own heart Go uh, go to Bethlehem to the household of Jesse and I've got a son among his sons, or one of his sons is who I'm going to anoint. And Samuel prayed and said to the Lord, if I go, Saul will find out, and he'll put me to death. And the Lord said, you just say that you're coming to Bethlehem to have a sacrifice and to basically make a pastoral call um, on the city of Bethlehem. And Samuel did do that. He had a circuit all through Israel that he periodically visited, um, taught them the law, the scripture, and so forth. Um, So there's a case where even the Lord acknowledged, um, we don't need to let Saul know. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. Ahab. Yeah. Yeah. And it worked. <laughs> well, and the interesting thing in that case, Ahab knew it wasn't the truth. He, he Micaiah was the pre, a prophet's name. And um, Ahab and Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat was in Judah, good king, loved God, but he was dumb when it came to judgment. Um, he was always hooking up with either Ahab or uh, you know, people that were not good, and he would kowtow to them, kind of cooperate with them. And one, a prophet met him one time coming back from a visit to Ahab, and he says, what are you doing helping the wicked, and why are you supporting those who hate the Lord? Um, but at any rate... Um, they were going to go out against the Syrians, and Ahab asked Jehoshaphat, could you bring your army of Judah along and help me? And he said, sure, my horses are your horses, my soldiers are your horses. Said, yeah, okay, fine. So they, all, they get all ready to go, and Jehoshaphat says, we ought to inquire of the Lord. We ought to find out what you know, God thinks of this, and maybe get some strategy from him. 
And so Ahab said, okay. So he called all the prophets, he said, um, of Israel. Well, that was northern ten tribes, not Judah. And they were all Baal guys and, you know, Baal priests, and they were a mess. And when they, they all said, go up and you'll win decisively. And so finally, that was the consensus of everybody. No prophet of the Lord spoke. And so Jehoshaphat says, Ahab, isn't there a prophet of the Lord we can question? He said, there's only one. His name's Micaiah. And he says, I hate him. And he says, well, why? He says, because he never prophesies good to me, only evil. So Jehoshaphat says, well, we still need to talk to him. So they bring him out, and you have the backstory um, of what goes on in heaven just before they come and get Micaiah. The Lord speaks to Micaiah and says, you just say whatever I tell you to say. But then you, we are given a behind-the-scenes picture of in heaven. It says the Lord ask all of his angels who will deceive, really, and, or seduce Ahab to go up and fall against the Syrians. And it says a number of angels stepped forward and said this and said that. And finally one said, I will come and be a deceiving, a lying, deceiving spirit to Ahab. And God said, it's a good idea. <laughs> you go. So, Micaiah comes in and Ahab says, now you, you tell the truth and don't do what you always do. And should we go up against the Syrians or not? And he says, yeah, go up. You'll be victorious. Have at it. Things will be great. Ahab flies into a rage. And he turns to Jehoshaphat. He says, didn't I tell you? He said, he'll never say anything good to me. He just said, it's going to be great for you. But he was, so, he was so used to what he was hearing from Micaiah that he, he knew, he said, you're not telling me the truth. Um, then Micaiah fesses up and he tells that whole story about the Lord looking for somebody to come and speak to him. And then um, Ahab said, throw him in jail, feed him bread and water, nothing more till I come back in victory. And of course, Micaiah says, if you come back in victory, God's not spoken by me at all. Um, now, the story of Micaiah ends there. I don't know if he ever got out of jail because Ahab didn't come back except dead in his chariot. Um, but at any rate, there's, I think that there is a, this is a big word, I guess, I don't know if it fits. At times there can be a fastidiousness about truthfulness. Um, and a boy, I, I hope you understand me. I'm not opening the door here to, well, hey, let's just lie as often as we can and call it, you know. Um, but there's sometimes when I know people ha go too far and feel like um, if they don't tell every single solitary true uh, point, even if it hurts people, even if it em embarrasses others, if it doesn't, doesn't matter, I, we have to speak what I know. That isn't wise. So I think there are times when we, um, if we can get away with saying nothing, that's better. But sometimes um, we're, we, don't, we don't need to divulge everything. So there, th th that's sometimes a case. I think often, I, n I don't know, and um, you know, <coughs> Troy Sear is here, back here at law enforcement. Um, what about undercover guys that have to pretend to be somebody else and maybe lie, you know what I mean? Buy drugs, do all kinds of stuff. Um, it's, it is, it's not impossible that a Christian law enforcement officer would be in that position, right? And, but it's a, it's a righteous cause, really. Um, so, anyway, um, I didn't want to spend much time on that, but I want to move then to any questions, thoughts on further? Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I think that you know, they're using deception against deception. 
Yeah, that's a good thought. And they're doing a righteous thing, you know, they're by evil. Yeah. Okay. So maybe in your eyes, it went terrible, but maybe somebody else yeah. that was witnessing said, oh, I never heard it that way. I really like that. So all of us have different uh, knowledge of things, different perspectives. Even the old lady that was, that got, uh, the car was sold out, you know, she sold yeah. her 500 bucks and stuff. That guy said, I made a deal on that. And she might have told her neighbors, I got that old car out of there, and now I wanted to clean out this yeah. car all this time. And she was, and God said, yeah, just leave her alone. Right? Yeah. I think God uses his grace everywhere to use, True. use even things like, yeah, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody, that it? Yeah. Well, I think you should tell the truth, but in, in the case such as those examples, you don't have to say everything you know. Yeah, or, or, or thinking. Yeah. Sometimes, you know, I do think, well, I can say early in my pastorate, I, you know, I, I, I would probably be too uh, transparent. Then, but there are times when, I'm I, thinking of cases where, you know, how did I, how did I do? Did I, you know, well, it wasn't too hot, you know, and and it wasn't a case where I, I don't think it was just in my eyes. I think most everybody thought, boy, um, we could have done without that. But <clears throat> um, well, I'll tell you one real quick. <laughs> um, talent night. Now, this was not in my own church, but it was not too many miles away from where. Um, I was pastoring and my brother-in-law was pastoring a little student church they called them and they had a little talent night on a Sunday night <clears throat> and this girl um, you know people sang a few people sang they did other stuff and this girl was in the school band and she wanted to play be in the talent show okay well, my brother-in-law, he's oh, okay, that's fine. Uh, she was in the high school band. Well, he didn't really check into things. He didn't know what was going on. She played the tuba. Okay? And the tuba doesn't, uh, I guess, if you're a tuba player, the tuba's not always engaged. Okay? There's a couple of measures, and there's nothing. So she gets up on the platform you know, with this massive tuba, and you know, she's just playing, she's boom, bump, bump, and then bump, bump, bump. That, that was her, she played the tuba part of the high school, f the football team song, okay, that you play out on the field. Well, and she asked, she, you know, she asked my brother in law, she wanted to know. <laughs> Uh, you know, how good it was. Um, I, to this day, can't remember. He told me what he said. Um, but he was scrambling to not hurt her feelings. Her mom and dad are there. They think it's great. You know, those kind of situations. I have been in some of those early on where I was flustered enough to say, oh, I really appreciate you doing that. It was just great. And then I walk away and I think, man, am I a liar? I mean, I didn't think it was great. And then I think, okay, do I apologize to her? But how do you apologize if you call her up or talk to her and say, you know, I said I thought it was really great, but it was a lie. It stunk. Uh, <laughs> um, it's just a mess. Um, so anyway, <clears throat> those are some of the things that we can get into. Um, was there another? Yeah. 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 Through constant use, through the practice, you decide 
Absolutely. Yeah. He did. Yeah. Yeah. And if you feel heckles in your heart about things, that's not a bad thing. And reasoning yeah. through it is how you get that constant use to become mature. Yeah. Okay. Here's another one. <clears throat> what do you think as Christians? How do you think as Christians we should observe what is called either by some the Christian Sabbath, or the Lord's Day, the day Jesus rose from the dead. The shift came in the first century from worshiping on Saturday. The early church, in many cases, kind of worshiped on both days. There was a full mixture of Jewish and Gentile. But the second century, second generation really, the Gentiles, you'd had the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 and the scattering of the Jews and killing of many of them. And by the second generation of Christians, more and more Gentile, um, the Sabbath Saturday was far less marked. And then Sunday became the worship day because it's the day Jesus rose from the dead. That, of course, went until... 50 years ago? I mean, you're talking 2,000 years or close to that. Um, <clears throat> we have the remnants in a few places still of what are called the blue laws, things that can't be open on Sundays. Um, they're few and far between now, but when I was a little kid, they weren't. So, I mean, just in my lifetime, that's really eroded. Um, do you think that the basic concept, for now, forget which particular day, but do you think that the uh, concept of a day of rest should still be observed? And if so, and as Christians have replaced the, the Sabbath with, which is seventh, you know, Saturday, with Sunday, how should we observe the Lord's Day? Have we let down in what practices we do engage in? What are your thoughts there? Yeah. I keep talking, but, you know, uh, Romans 14 again says, one day, one man regards one day more sacred than another, and another regards every day alike, but each be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever does what is sacred does to the Lord, and whoever doesn't does to the Lord. And then he goes on to say, therefore let no one judge you with regards to shadows of the things that were to come of the essence of Christ. And so we know that the old covenant's old for a reason, you know, uh, and there's a new covenant, not that we can just go breaking all the laws, um, but Jesus was the biggest flaunter of the Sabbath of, of anybody. You know, I mean, he's, I'm always working into this very day, and my father's always working, and, you know, uh, you know he, he did righteous things, good things on the Sabbath. And so, you know, I, whatever way you go, sensitive topic because I have Seventh-day Adventist friends and uh, they get really up in arms over it and I about the Romans 14 thing if you're causing them to stumble by you know trying to falsely convince them <coughs> yeah. any thoughts how many of you let's say now this might um, date us but how many Let's say when you were a lot younger, <laughs> um, maybe I'll rephrase it. How many of you, through your fa parents, your family, whatever, observed Sundays, if you were raised in church, observed Sundays in a different way in your, say, your childhood than you do now in adulthood? Anybody's observance of Sunday, things that seem to be, you don't do that on Sunday, this is not open on Sunday, you don't go there on Sunday, versus how you 
um, live today, there's a difference. Anybody? Society used to be different. What? The whole society used to be different. Because it was leavened with Christianity. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And then it seems like all of a sudden the flood doors opened. And every day was the same as the one before and one after. Yeah. Um, I'd raise my hand that things are different that from when I was a kid to today. Um, really, when you go back into... Um, <clears throat> when you go back into history, even clear back into the Reformation, 1500s, um, there, Protestantism hung on to an awful lot, really. In, in some ways, they, they didn't really throw overboard some, that, some um, don'ts, do's and don'ts, that were almost Judaic. Um, the Puritans, especially, who came over here and settled America, fleeing religious persecution in Europe, uh, England, Holland, so, place, so forth, um, they really did very little um, different than Sabbath. They just moved it to Sunday, but they called it the Sabbath. Sunday school used to be called Sabbath school. It wasn't, it was looked at as this is the, the Sabbath. And I read in <clears throat> John Wesley's journal, you know, his like 14 volumes, um, Rules for Methodists, um, sermons that he preached and so forth. But one of the things that, he, that all the preachers then would rail against as signs of debauchery, of falling away from the faith, was, quote, Sabbath breaking. Um, you know, doing things on the Lord's Day you were not supposed to do, okay? Um, now the Jews, I had a professor in seminary who did his graduate work at Hebrew University in Israel. And <clears throat> anyway, he told us that the um, Orthodox Jews, the very conservative Jews, would hire Gentiles to um, cook for them or at least be in the house. They could do cooking, of course, in preparation for the Sabbath. But... Um, now, I don't know why they just didn't unscrew the refrigerator bulb, but literally, they wouldn't open the refrigerator door between sundown Friday night and sundown Saturday night, which was the Sabbath, because if you opened the door and the 15-watt bulb went on, that was violating the commandment, do not kindle a fire on the Sabbath, because you lit up a light bulb. So Gentile kids, even, he said, some college students would, you know, spend the Sabbath day in a Jewish home to either open the refrigerator or do some cooking or whatever that needed to be done because they would not, you know, could not break the Sabbath. Well, in Puritan America, much of that prevailed. Um, and you did, of course, the necessary things if you had to milk the cow and, you know, things like that. Um, but <clears throat> you just didn't do, you did no work. I remember talking to a dear, dear saint of God um, when I was pastoring in Oregon. Um, and she would, her husband was a minister, um, retired by then. But... Um, she would 
get all the clothes ready Sunday night, and she said even she would iron right up till midnight if she had to to get the clothes ready, the, you know, her husband's shirt ironed and all that, because you, I mean, if you stayed up past midnight on Saturday and you're ironing at 12.01 a.m., that's not good. You know what I mean? Um, I, early, early on, I can remember, if you went out to eat on Sunday, there were few restaurants that would be open, first of all. But if you did go out to eat on Sunday, you were probably, the soles of your shoes were probably already melting off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you were walking over on the lake of fire. Um, and You know, the, the, the argument often was that you're making people work who you, you, you say you want to get people to come to church and find the Lord, and yet you're populating stores, restaurants, whatever, and those people can't come to church because they're waiting on you, church people, you know. Um, so it wasn't that illogical of an argument, but... Um, that was at one point typified all of evangelicalism all the way from you know whether baptist methodist whoever those that were bible believers that those were agreed upon sabbath or sunday um, behaviors <clears throat> and you never went shopping unless it was an emergency um, you didn't go to, you know, there was a, usually one pharmacy if you're a smaller town. If you had to get medicine, that was one thing. The old oxes in the pit thing, you know. Everybody know what, I, what I'm talking about there? Well, Jesus said, you Pharisees won't even let my disciples walk through the fields of grain, pluck heads, and the rubbing of the heads of grain, which took the chaff off and popping the wheat, grains into their mouth the Pharisees declared was work and so the disciples who were just walking along the edges of the fields which you could do God even said listen let people come in and pick grapes off your vines and whatever else just don't bring a bucket literally don't bring a vessel to put it in there but a handful you're not robbing from your neighbor if you get an apple off your street um but at any rate, Jesus said, don't you, if your sheep falls into a well or your ox falls into a pit on the Sabbath, he said, don't you get him out? Then why, he said, should you be angry at me that I healed this daughter of Abraham who's been bent over for 18 years? So when I was growing up and probably to well we don't say it much anymore because nobody pays attention to Sunday but it used to always be hey your ox is in the pit <laughs> you got an excuse um, the emergency is I I do need Dairy Queen um, the ox is in the pit we're out of ice cream at home um, anyway so um, here's one of the things that bothers me sometimes or, or doesn't bother me but it's difficult some of the things that we may feel we abandoned, I don't know if they should have been enforced in the first place. And so we feel we're, we're in a condition where we think anything that changes is a change for the bad, you know? Not necessarily. Um, I knew people, well, let me, let me give you, this is an old story. It's... 1901, okay? I have a book in my library that is <clears throat> from a huge Chicago um, First Methodist Church, a big convention that they had there in 1901. And it was not only Methodist, but it was primarily, it was called a holiness assembly. It was all of those, mostly Methodist, but other denominations, other people that taught entire sanctification as a second work of grace and they held their annual um, huge convention there and at the time 
um, the holiness movement, which is a legitimate historical name for it, was, I would say, nearly its peak. There were massive um, camps um, all over the country and <clears throat> um, great preachers that were famous. Um, one real quick, Southern orator, H.C. Morrison, and he founded Asbury Seminary, which is in Wilmore, Kentucky. Um, remember, you've read recently the Asbury Revival. Okay, that's um, H.C. Morrison started all that work there. He was a Methodist. Um, and H.C. Morrison was such a well-known preacher that he was preaching in Washington, D.C., and he was on Pennsylvania Avenue or something, and William McKinley, the president then, bumped into him, instantly knew who he was, and mentioned to him, it would be more honorable to be a holiness preacher than to be president of the United States. So that's, that's how high the crest was uh, of revival in the United States. Well, this Chicago convention um, <clears throat> attracted, and what makes this book I've got real, real um, valuable, because I've had a book dealer out of Alabama that wanted that book. Um, they're, they're really rare. Uh, I think I got it for like two bucks somewhere. I don't have any idea what it's worth now. But at any rate, it's got the pictures of every the who's who of all the big time preachers then um, they met at the Chicago First Methodist Church downtown wherever that was and they got invitations from literally all over Chicago the suburbs massive city then anyway um, asking all of these great preachers, would you preach in our, our church this Sunday morning? They were there in town for a week. And in that book, it records the discussions that went on and the, the differences of opinion on the part of many of those famous preachers whether they should go to these churches that they were invited, and many of them were not Methodists. They were not people who believed in being filled with the Spirit. But they, let's have them come and preach. What an opportunity that was. Many of them turned the invitations down. You know what the reason was? They'd have to pay a nickel to ride the trolley car to get to the whatever church had invited them. They would be breaking the Sabbath by paying a nickel to ride the trolley. Um, what? <clears throat> so some things that are dropped are, are maybe shouldn't have been enforced in the first place. Okay? Now, any... any um, Probably enough on that. Let me start in on uh, one last we may not get through. Um, we talked a little bit. We already talked about civil authority and the place of Christians. The Bible has a lot to say about that. Um, as regarding our civil authority. Um, and we know that our civil authority is increasingly corrupt and increasingly hostile to Christians. So we're more and more... This is moving from an abstract discussion to concrete confrontation. What do we do? And what are we going to do as things become more and more um, hostile to believers? Okay? But there are a lot of other realms in which we have, we're under authority that remembering all authority even if it's been corrupted, and it can be corrupted. But initially, all authority is delegated from God. That means to parents. It means to law enforcement. It means to um, 
in a very general sense, elders to children. It means employers to employees. Um, it even means, and this is a slippery slope, too. Well, they all have some safeguards that you, beyond this point you don't obey. But <clears throat> um, whether it's church authorities, whether it's employees, whether it's civil authorities, um, whether it is even to a degree teachers um, as kids, um, we're to be subject to authority within reason. Now, what would you say, in, what could we agree on as uh, conditions where, or occasions where even parental authority, civil authority, whatever kind of authority, um, it can be legitimately resisted? Anybody? Pardon me? If okay, if they're causing you harm, or let me and I'll let me just add the word or add if they're if they're pressuring you, ordering you, whatever the case is, to do something contrary to God's law, contrary to your conscience, um, that is immoral, so forth, um, that becomes an illegitimate order. Okay, now, is that a slippery slope? Yeah, there's slippery slopes everywhere. You can't avoid slippery slopes. Uh, they just are. Um, yes, certain people can say that violates my conscience when it shouldn't violate the conscience because it doesn't involve a commandment from the Lord. Um, so, I think we have to stipulate that if it, it's harmful, illegal, or immoral, I am, I am justified in resisting it, okay? A second thing, I think, is if we do resist it, how are we to resist it? And I think there's some scriptural illustrations. Anybody think of any? Jesus, yeah, Jesus braided a whip and <laughs> waded into the, yeah, but that could get you in some trouble. Um, <clears throat> yeah, um, but you guys kind of wrecked my question. Um, <clears throat> Jim started it. Um, Daniel's who I was thinking of, and, and who knows how it could have gone, but you know, the Babylonian king brought special, um, you know, brilliant Jewish youth that they'd cap taken captured and taken to Babylon to train them in the philosophy and the language and so forth of Babylonians. Um, and so they put them in, put them up in the palace or, you know, buildings around close there. Fed them the king's meat. Well, of course, being Jewish boys, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been forced to eat meat and eat food that was unclean to a Jew and that God prohibited them from eating. Um, do you remember, anybody remember what Daniel's, what their response was to this thing thrust on them that they would have to go against the commandments of the Lord and their, their covenant as Jews um, to be served unclean animals. Yeah. yeah. Give us a trial period. I don't know if it's 10 days or two weeks or something that we want to eat you know, the vegetables and all that and see how we turn out compared to all the others. Yeah. Give us a, give us a test. Give us a test. The word and, to me, the key word Daniel went to the immediate superior that was over him 
And it says, so they requested of the king that they wouldn't have to eat unclean food. Not demand, not went on strike, you know what I mean? Made placards and walked back and forth. In those days, of course, you would have lost your head before lunch. Um, so I think that was a damper on the kind of response. But I do think the way Daniel, they said they prayed and they requested. And God, I think, operated on the head guy's heart. And because he, he said, well, I, I, don't, I don't dare do that. Oh, the king will cut my head off. And then he said, here's the solution. Give us 10 days. Let us eat what we want to eat. And the rest of these guys eat the stuff you're feeding them. And just check us out after 10 days. And in 10 days, they look better than the other guys. And so they were fine. Um, of course, it came to um, then Daniel defied the king's commandment and prayed to the Lord. And there was something, I think, in the case of Daniel when, you know, don't pray to anybody but the king. Well, it says this about Daniel's habit. Three times a day, he went up into his chamber, said, up to his lodging. But he opened the doors, apparently, on some kind of a balcony so that it's wide open and he knelt down and he prayed toward Jerusalem, okay? Now, he did that openly. Um, I don't know if he prayed out loud, but at least it was, you could almost call it public because it was seeable. He made no effort at all to, he could have said, well, at least close the patio doors. You know what I mean? Nope. He left them wide open. And it says he did as at every other time. Knelt down, prayed and gave thanks to God. Well, it was easy to entrap him because they knew what he did and they just had to go stand below the, the deck maybe of the story up and hurt him. And so they go rat him out to the king. Of course, he ends up throwing the lion's den. But even then, he, he defied the king's if I can say this right, he defied the king's commandment, but not defiantly. That, does that, not brashly, not in your face. Um, he didn't back down. Um, but I think that contributed to Darius, the king then, he said, laboring so hard to try to get himself out of the dumb law he'd made in the first place because he loved Daniel and respected him. Okay. Then, of course, you have the three Hebrew children going into the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar is the king then. Um, and they were, I think, a little more bold. Nebuchadnezzar said, you bow down or else. And he said, what God's going to deliver you out of my hand? Yeah. And they make this statement. King James puts it this way. They said, oh, king, we're not careful in how we answer you. Okay, I mean, I don't think they were, you know, they weren't just being overly obnoxious, but they said, we're not careful to answer you. We're not, gonna, we're not going to um, tiptoe around this. We're not bound down to your, your, is, it was a standard or a statue of him. Unbelievable. <clears throat> Perfect politician as a 90-foot gold statue of himself made, and everyone was supposed to bow down to it or get thrown in the furnace, okay? First Democrat, um, except there's some Republicans too. But anyway, um, typical politician. But anyway, um, they said, we're not bound down. We're not going to obey you. And even if our God doesn't deliver us out of your hand, we're still not bound down. So I think in the book of Daniel, you have several types of resistance that vary in their, what? Um, how The strength in which they do it, okay? Now, um, I 
I know a lot of people, I, I've known a lot of people who have gotten themselves into trouble in regular secular employment because they would spend time, quote, witnessing, maybe, in the lunchroom or whatever, well beyond break time. And when they'd get written up for it or whatever else, then it would be, well, they're persecuting me for, you know, I'm a Christian, and they, they've been after me because I'm a Christian. No, get back to work whatever time you're supposed to get back. That's the most Christian thing you can do. It's not Christian um, to take advantage of an employer or whatever. Be, be uh, without blame. Um, that's what blameless means. And Paul, Paul used it towards the ministry. He said, we don't dare give offense in anything that we would chase people off or ruin God's reputation. So um, we need to, uh, as employees, we need to be faithful. Um, go an extra mile, whether we're asked or not, and not be, you know what, the, the, New Te- or the King James in the New Testament talks about not being men pleasers. You know what that means? Anybody know what it means? It's, when I was in high school, no, I'd just gotten out of high school, getting ready to go to college, wasn't right with God at all. But I got a job in the cannery in Eugene, Oregon. They had a lot of truck farms, a lot of orchards, you know, peaches and all kinds of stuff. And so I had probably one of the top jobs uh, in, in importance in the cannery because I, I was on the line that um, filled one-gallon cans, tin cans with sliced beets. Now, the place couldn't run if we didn't, you know, keep the beet line going. And then it went into some machine that, you know, sealed and soldered the lid on it. And then it went down this conveyor and we... Um, loaded the you know we we, you flip these cans into these boxes box them up put them on a pallet and guy with this truck comes and gets them and you know the forklift you do that for 12 hours okay um well we had it all figured out the bosses all the boss everybody had a white a white hard hat the bosses had yellow hats okay so we had it all figured out we had ways that we you know, we rotated on who did what job, but you, one guy could always see way down the hallway whether a yellow hat was coming. And they didn't want us to sit down. Well, we all had these boxes that we'd come up with, and we sat down and worked, and we could work as good, but they had this rule, you get caught sitting down, you're done. So we went ahead, and we all sat down. We didn't pay attention to that. And we always had a lookout, whoever rotated around. So he, it was a yellow hat. And they'd you know, bang on it, um, kick the stairs or do something. So you know, hey, there's a yellow hat coming. So what do you do? Oh, man, everybody's up and they're just you know, putting boxes together and just throwing cans of beets and stacking them and just working. Um, that's what the New Testament means. Don't be men pleasers. Don't only work when you think the boss is looking at you. Be faithful whether he's around or not, even if he's on vacation. Just do your job. Um, and I think 99% of the stuff that I get people in my office talking to me, you know, about trouble at work, most of the time, 99% of the time, nothing's ever against laws of God. Are they stupid rules? Yeah, probably. But stupid doesn't count. <laughs> you know what I mean? If it's a stupid rule, I'm under authority, keep it. If it's immoral or legal, that's different. We have two minutes and I'll finish with this story. <laughs> Had a guy in my church in Oregon, good guy. And I, I, I won't use names. I think a few people in Oregon listen to these. But anyway, he worked for a monstrous big construction company. Huge. I mean, they did great big government projects um, where you could cheat on a very small scale and make a ton of money. And I can't remember all of the details, 
but he was he was part of the designing architecture and you know um, and down to where you know if you have a uh, you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of square feet buildings you're building if you if if you and this was similar to what was going on they had bid and priced a certain quality of um, wall switch boxes and plug-in boxes okay well you got a 50-story building or whatever and if you substitute a slightly cheaper electrical box it's not off a code but it's not the most expensive one that you bid and that the company thought they were getting it was something like a penny or two pennies it was nothing but it was that kind of stuff to where it was bid this then substitute that as the parts we we put in and over something as massive as the kinds of things they built that rake in somebody's salary well he was presented with this and he was fairly new christian came and talked to me and he said i know they'll fire me if i refuse to do it uh, but you know we prayed we but he says i know i i, I just know i i can't do that it's not honest so he refused to do it and they fired him <laughs> um it wasn't very long he was sharp he wasn't very long he didn't starve all the things he thought would happen and he went out, he went on on his own, started his own construction firm. And um, today is worth multiple millions. God blessed him, took him through that fearful time, and he kept his conscience clear, and he resisted being ordered to do something illegal and immoral, and God honored him. Um, so God knows how to take care of his people who face that kind of stuff daily. But he'll take care of us. Well, we'll quit. We'll go ahead and pray, and kids are probably about to get out. So, Father in heaven, Help us in all of the sometimes confusing things we face, and they come up sometimes with no warning. But we literally, Lord, we have opportunities virtually daily to question, what in the world do I do here? Help us sense your presence and your guiding hand, and may we, all, may we just do the best we can to be good representatives of you. Keep us as we go, we pray tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you are dismissed.